And as we look at this series of messages, this week we're going to look at lessons from Joseph on being a father. Next week we're going to look at lessons from Mary on being a mother. A couple of weeks ago on our family night, Becky and I were, and Amy were watching, going to watch a movie after dinner. A lot of times we play a game on family night, but on this particular night I just told her, I said, you know, I want to watch the Nativity tonight. I, I enjoy all the holiday movies. I enjoy Elf. If you've never watched that before, that's quite a hoot to watch. Miracle on 34th Street and George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life. And I like the old black and white version with Clarence the Angel there. It's just a great movie. But that night I wanted to watch the Nativity. And it was so refreshing to watch the movie and to kind of relive it. And from the first time I experienced it, we did a showing of it here at the church years ago when it first came out. We were able to show it here. And so many people were touched. I remember some folks that are in heaven now. I thought about them watching the movie, how they came after the service and we talked and how vivid and how real the whole story became. But watching it dramatized. But there was one scene that really got me and really got me to thinking, and that was when Joseph and Mary were sitting beside the Sea of Galilee, and they were having dinner together. You know, they were eating their little meager meal together, and suddenly Mary goes, the baby's moving. And Joseph just kind of looks at Mary with excitement and yet wonder. At the same time, the baby is moving. And Mary looks at Joseph and says, you've never told me very much about your dream. And he tells her, he said, you know, the angel came to me and said that the, the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. He didn't, I'm putting it in my words, but he's going through it. And Mary then looks at Joseph and says, are you afraid? And he goes, yes. And she goes, me too. And they, they start laughing some more, the way young parents do. And then Joseph says these words, and I felt these words, remembering when I first became a dad, remembering these words with my, all four of my children, remembering them even now with my grandson. I have to tell you, I'm not the most confident dad in the world. I'm not the most confident grandfather in the world. I'm not the most confident husband in the world. I'm not the most confident pastor in the world. My confidence is in Christ, and as long as my confidence is in Christ, I am reasonably confident about being able to live a successful life. But I felt what Joseph was saying when he said this, I wonder if I'll be able to teach him anything. He's the Son of God. And so I want to look at this interesting life of Joseph because you have to remember that God chose Joseph to be the father of Jesus, the adoptive father of Jesus. God chose Joseph to, to raise him, to mentor him, to be a dad to him. And what an awesome responsibility. I felt the responsibility of raising my children. Young parents come to me and ask me to dedicate their children. I just recently met with a couple in my office and talked with them about dedicating their children and what that meant to, to commit in faith of how we're going to raise our children. And so this morning, I'd like you, if you would, stand with me one more time out of respect and reverence for the Word of the Lord. And I want to go to the Matthew passage first, because Matthew really wants to bring home the lineage of Joseph and the Jewishness of Joseph, because he's, he's writing to a Jewish audience. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, Mary, was a righteous man 
It did not want to disgrace her publicly. In other words, Joseph had already thought about what he was going to do because he was a righteous man. That meant he wanted to please God, and he wanted to live in a right relationship with other people. And that's what it means to be righteous. You want to please God. You want to love God, please God. But you also want to live in right relationship in your marriage, in your family, with your children, with your neighbors, where you work at. So Joseph had decided to not disgrace her because the law said he had to divorce her. They weren't married yet, but engagements were legally binding contracts. So Joseph was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationships with her until her son was born. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this day. And I thank you for the words from the Scripture and how we can apply them to our lives. And I ask you now that as we study your word together, that God, you will touch us as men, make us godly fathers. Lord, I pray for those who aren't fathers yet but want to be, that you'll touch them. And God, show them how they can become a godly dad. Touch those, Lord, in our congregation that are grandfathers like myself. You know, Lord, we will see the role, the important and vital role we play in our children's lives. And then, Father, I pray that you will touch the women of our church as well, because there are lessons here for young women who want to be married about the kind of man they should marry. And, Lord, the relationship they should expect from a husband, Lord, one of love and respect, never one of abuse. I pray in Christ's name, speak to us today and grant us healthy and holy homes in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Well, Joseph was a man like any of us. He was feeling betrayed. He was feeling hurt. He naturally would have assumed, assumed that Mary had been unfaithful to him. You just don't turn up pregnant without having had sexual relationships with somebody. And as we've looked at before in past Christmases, what that must have been like for Joseph when Mary said to him, but Joseph, what it must have been like for her parents and for her siblings when she said that this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I've broken no law. I've not been unfaithful. I would ask each of us to put ourselves in her shoes for just a moment and try to feel what she must have felt as she tries to explain to Joseph and as she tries to explain to her family what God has entrusted her with. Sometimes it's very difficult for people to understand what God has entrusted you with. Sometimes it's very difficult for you to explain God's call upon your life or how God is working with you in your life. 
And we're going to learn some lessons today about how to know that we've heard from the Lord. But I want you also to put yourself in the shoes of Joseph because of the laughter, the mockery, if her own parents didn't believe her, if Joseph didn't believe her at first, what would the community have said? This is a Jewish town that if someone broke the law, the laws of God, if someone did turn up pregnant, they could have stoned her to death. And so you need to put yourself in the shoes of Joseph because to break the law, to have done what he'd done was to risk his business, his trade as a carpenter. To break the law was to risk his reputation. To break the law was to be put out of the synagogue. And to be put out of the synagogue was that basically you were separated from the social, the spiritual, and the economic life of the community. And so there's a lot going on here that on our Courier and Ives Christmas cards we don't see. There's a lot going on here that with the sleigh bells and the horses pulling the old-fashioned sleighs through the snow and with our beautiful Christmas trees and our beautiful carols that we don't see or understand in this Christmas story. But Joseph says to me, or his life says to me, that rather than react, react, react rashly, rather than just lose his temper, Joseph calmly thought about this. He must have been praying about this. And he came to a conclusion that rather than embarrass Mary and her family, rather than embarrass Mary, rather than risk her being stoned, rather than me just vomiting out the hurt and the pain that I feel. And we've all been there where we've been hurt, and we want somebody to listen to us in our pain. As a matter of fact, we want somebody to feel towards the person that has hurt us the way we feel towards that person. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Because I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've heard a lot of things from people who want sympathy, so they tell you how badly they've been hurt or wounded. And so that gift of discernment that I said is the number one gift that I look for in every single leader is, is this person a discerning man? Is this person a discerning woman? Joseph sat down, and he responded to the Lord in prayer. He responded with thought, and he came up with what seemed like a really good plan. And as he considered that plan, and he made up his mind that he would divorce her quietly, perhaps he even communicated this to her family, perhaps he even communicated this to Mary. Obviously, Mary knew all about this, as did the early church and did their community. God divinely intercepts Joseph in a dream. And maybe you've had a really good plan. You've thought it through. You've prayed it through. I had a man come into my study one day, and he said, Pastor, I've really thought this through, and I've really prayed about it, and I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And I said, well, why are you telling me? He says, because, Pastor, I want you to listen to me and tell me what you think. And so he went through his whole plan, and it sounded like a really good plan, but I said, would you give me some time just to pray with you about this plan? And I'll never forget his statement. He says, it doesn't matter if you pray, I'm still going to do it. Now, this is a godly man. This is a good man. I love him very much. And he knows about me sharing this story. And so I said, okay, but I'm still going to pray. So I called him. I told him, I said, you know, I just, you know, you're not under any obligation to me. But somehow or another, even though it looks rational, it looks right, I just don't see this as being God's plan for your life and for your family. I don't see this being the way you should go. And I said, and, and understand, you are not under any obligation, but you ask me to pray. You ask me to consider this with you. And he said, Pastor, thank you, but I think it's a good plan. I'm going to go through with it. 
He ended up hurt. He ended up his family hurt, and they recovered. They're doing well. But here's the point. Sometimes even when we make our best plans, godly, God will divinely intercept and change our course. Becky and I never planned to come to Michigan, but it's one of the best decisions that we ever made in our life. I was talking with my son just recently because the, the boys were jumping on a trampoline, and I said to, to him, I said, do you remember when we were all on the trampoline, and Rick Sutherland, you had called me, and I wouldn't take your call. Becky finally came out and said, it's not a prank call. Brother Trask really did ask you to call me. So I took the call on the trampoline. I said, Andrew, there's no telling what a call on a trampoline where it will take you to in life. But it was on that trampoline that God divinely intercepted and changed the course of our life. Sometimes God will speak in a dream. Sometimes God will speak through a friend. Sometimes God will speak through a sermon. I hope he speaks to you through this message this morning. And sometimes when you're having your daily devotions and you're reading the Bible, God makes the Bible stand out in boxcar-sized letters to you, and he quickens that to your heart. Just recently, I was reading in my own personal devotions, Luke chapter 1 and verse 45, where Elizabeth said to Mary, you are blessed because you believe the word of the Lord. Friends, that verse has not let go of me since I read that verse. I've been praying that over some of you or some of you online. I may have prayed that prayer over that verse over you already, that there is a blessing that comes from believing the word of the Lord. So Joseph took her. Let's look at this next passage from the book of Luke, chapter 2. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census, and because David was a descendant of King, excuse me, because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Underline that in your Bible. Circle that in the app, or if you're using the app this morning. And he traveled from there, from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Joseph traveled back to the ancient home of David of Bethlehem. It was a Bethlehem that the prophet Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born there. You see, if you ever forget your home, you forget your anchor. If you forget where you're from, you forget your anchor. Who you are, who your family is, what your background is. Your family background may not be one you like to talk about, or your family background may be one that you're very proud of. But you see, whether you're proud of it or not proud of it, that's the anchor from where you came. We should never forget where God brought us from. We should always remember the old song that says, Lord, remind me, remind me of where I was, where you found me, what you saved me from, and remind me, Lord, of what I'm supposed to become. I was talking to my mom about this recently, and she's from a small town in South Georgia called Moultrie. And I asked her about Moultrie, and as we talked about it, she says, you know, I still consider Moultrie home. And I said to her, Mama, would you move back to Moultrie? She goes, no, I wouldn't move back to Moultrie, but that's home. You know, I talked to other people. My dad, for instance, from Nashville, Georgia, he made me walk all over the farm, fence posts, 
where they planted cotton, where they grew tobacco, where the corn was gathered, where the livestock was raised at, the well, the river swamp, how the wood from the house and for the fence posts, they all came from the river swamp, the smokehouse where the hams and the sausages were hung up. As we walked down that sandy driveway, over and over, Daddy would say to me, fella, this is where you're from. This is what this farm provided a livelihood for your grandparents. It provided a livelihood for us. This is where you're from. Friends, our anchor, our ancient home, and for you and I as followers of Christ, our ancient home is not in Georgia, it's not in Michigan, but our ancient home is in Jesus Christ this morning. And that's what we have to remember. So when Joseph, when the child was born, Joseph named him, according to the Scriptures, Jesus, because he would save his people from their sin. What are some quick lessons we can take from this this morning? Number one, teach your children to listen to the Lord. Teach your children to listen to the Lord. Teach them how to discern the voice of God in the reading of the Scriptures. Teach them how to discern the voice of the Lord. Discuss the messages. Discuss Timber Ridge with them. Discuss Pastor Corey's message with them. What was Pastor Corey communicating? What was the application point? Were there any illustrations that stood out to you? What happened in Timber Ridge? What was the big idea? What can we learn from that? Talk about the message in the sermon. How do we learn to discern the voice of God in the Bible? What did Pastor mean when he said that sometimes a verse of Scripture will stand out in boxcar-sized letters or it will burn in your heart? What do we do when we come to a scriptural promise, when we come to a scriptural command, or we come to a scriptural prophecy? You see, the more familiar we become with the Word, the more we can begin to discern the voice of the Lord as we pray. Somewhere, Joseph had parents that taught him how to listen to the voice of the Lord and to know when a dream was last night's Jerusalem pizza and when a dream was from the voice of the Lord. And there have been those times in each of us, maybe God has spoken to us in a dream or spoken to us in a moment like that. God used a man who had failed miserably as a father. God used a man that was a rotten dad. If you want to just be honest about it, Eli was a rotten dad. He raised two sons that were in the ministry and became moral monsters. They raped the women they were supposed to be ministering to. They stole the offerings that belonged to the Lord. You've probably heard the name Ichabod before. His name has been used in literature, like Ichabod Crane. The name Ichabod was what one of those uh, boys, what one of Eli's grandsons was named because of the promiscuity and the, and, the, and the ignoring of the word of the Lord that her husband did. And even though Eli the priest had fell miserably with his two boys, God gave him a third chance. Don't ever count yourself out. And maybe if you're listening, the reason you're listening at home today is you've just somehow or another accidentally gotten to this page, and you're thinking, I will never be a good dad. Maybe you've been tempted to turn this off because I'm talking about Joseph. Let me tell you about a man named Eli that God gave a third chance to be a godly dad. Elkaniah and Hannah entrusted their son to Eli when they presented him for service in the temple of the Lord. One night little Samuel, who was the greatest prophet in the Bible, little Samuel heard the voice of the Lord saying, calling his name out. And so he got up and he ran to Eli, not knowing how to discern that it was the voice of the Lord. And he says, here I am, here I am, what do you need? 
Eli sent him back to bed. He said, I didn't call you. The second time, little Eli heard the, or little Samuel heard the voice of the Lord. He went running to Eli. He says, here I am. You called me again. And he goes, son, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. The third time, little Samuel heard the voice. And when Eli heard him this time come back with the same request, he recognized then that it was the voice of the Lord. And he told him, he says, the next time you hear that, say, speak. Lord, for your servant is listening. And you know, little, little Samuel grew up to be one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. You see, you may have failed in the past, but don't ever think that God cannot use you. Because any, any healthy male, look at me, any healthy male can be a father. But it takes a man to be a real father and a real dad. Any healthy male can get a girl pregnant, but it takes a real man to be a father, to be a daddy to a child. And the mission of a father is to raise children, to know the voice of the Lord, and to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. It's the mission of this church to celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. It's the mission of this dad to not only raise our four children to be passionate followers of Christ, but to have that influence upon my grandsons. And when they call me and they want to read me Bible stories out of their action Bible or they want to ask me questions, I celebrate in the fact that they're becoming passionate followers of Christ. The second thing we want them to do is to learn how to build one another up. Learn how to build each other up, how to encourage one another, how to compliment one another. It's what you do in a home. You build people up. You build daughters and you build sons. Husbands build up their wives. Wives build up their husbands. It's what we do in a family. We encourage one another. We don't discourage one another. In our world, people are being discriminated against. In our world, people are being abused. In our world, people are being denied. In our high schools, kids are being bullied, not only online, but many times in the school itself. And we wonder, how can we stop that? We stop by beginning at home and learning how to build one another up. We had a rule in our house. You couldn't criticize, you couldn't cut down, you couldn't make fun of, you couldn't bully one another. And I remember there were times when I'd have to separate the boys and say to them, look, in this household, in the Clanton home, we build one another up. Now apologize and think of something positive, think of something complimentary, and you could see their faces concentrating because they didn't want to apologize, but we weren't moving on until they recognized the point of building one another up. There were times when I would come in cranky, I would come in tired, I'd had a lot happening that day, and I might snap at Becky, I might say something I shouldn't say, and my kids would stop me and they'd go, now Dad, in the Clanton household, we build one another up. Dad, do you hear me? We build one another up. So why don't you stop right now and say something to mom that's going to build her up? Don't you hate it when your kids preach to you? Don't you just hate it when they throw your words right back into your face? And yet it was one of the most positive things that we could do. The Bible says this, that Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So since Christ died, since Christ died for us, since Christ is going to return, here's the application. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you and I are doing. Listen, 
I'm telling you, one day we're going to stand before God, Pastor Rick, Pastor Corey, myself, Pastor Mark, and every other pastor that's ever served with us here on staff, we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an accounting. Did we build an environment? Did we pastor? Did we lead the congregation in such a way that built people up and encouraged them? And one day, sir, one day, ma'am, you will stand before the Father in heaven and you will have to answer the question, did you build the kind of home? Did you create the kind of environment that would build one another up or tear one another down? Number three, we have to learn how to talk to one another. How to talk. I almost call this learn the art of conversation. But I thought the word art might put us off. It might make us think that art was only for a certain group. All of us have to learn how to have a conversation. Our home was and continues to be a very active home. I don't allow the word busy in my vocabulary. I don't want my kids to ever think I was too busy to talk to them. I don't want Becky to think I'm too busy to talk to her. I don't want you to think I'm too busy. Somebody recently or just this week called me and says, I know you're busy. I said, no, I'm not busy. And they said, they, said, they called me and I said, Pastor, you got to be lying. I said, no, I'm not lying. Busy means I don't have time to stop what I'm doing, that something else is more important than you are. So I've got time to talk. And so so we, we had our conversation. It was a good conversation, encouraging conversation, followed up with some text messages to help them with the challenge that they were facing, the problem they were facing. Here's my point. Every single week, somebody will say to me, whether it's in the township or in the community or even from the church, you're busy. Our children should never say to us, we're busy, because busy means we cannot stop for them. But Becky, she had a wonderful idea. It wasn't always a comfortable idea. It wasn't always a fun idea. But Becky had a great idea. Not only were there no phones, not only were there no Game Boys, iPads, iPods, not only were there no smartphones, but even, and this is Ichabod. This, if there's Ichabod in our house, this is Ichabod. There's even no television during college football where we're having dinner together. Do you know how hard it is to walk away from a Georgia football game, especially if there's one on the evening and you've got to come eat dinner? That's really, really difficult. But Becky says, everything has to be off because at this table, we're going to have conversation. At this table, we're going to talk to one another. At this table, we're going to get to know one another because nobody talks anymore together. Nobody, and, and our friends' kids would come to the house, and sometimes we'd have to add extra little tables at the table to put everybody around, and they'd say, you know, our family doesn't eat together. Our family doesn't talk like this. We eat in front of the television, or we eat separately from one another. But Becky was wise enough because she knew we had to learn how to talk. Our conversations were about Star Wars, sports, friends. Our conversations was about Star Wars, Royal Rangers, Missionettes. Our conversation was about church and youth camp and kids camp and Star Wars. Our conversations was about athletics and soccer. Our conversation, did I mention that they like to talk about Star Wars as well? I mean, I had Star Wars up to here because Every time somebody finished a new book or there was another movie, it was always Star Wars. But sooner or later, we watched as our kids were able to transition from having to pull them out in conversation to where they would engage in conversation and where they would talk. And there were times when Becky and I would look at each other and we would grin and smile. But then there were other times we'd say, are they ever going to be quiet? 
Are they ever going to be quiet? Listen to what the Bible says. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Jesus learned that from Mary and Joseph. Jesus learned that from Joseph sitting down, logically thinking, biblically thinking. Joseph praying how to respond to unbelievable news like this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Somewhere or another, Jesus picked up because he learned from the things he suffered. Don't ever forget, he was not only fully God, but he came fully human. He had emotions, he had a soul, he had a mind like you. The Bible says that he emptied himself of all of those divine attributes so he could come and live among us and give his life as the innocent sacrifice for our sins. So it's important that we remember that. Jesus must have learned this in the home and around the table of Mary and Joseph. Number four. Be biblical, but be flexible. Be biblical, but be flexible. You see, you never bend biblical rules, but you learn the spirit behind the Bible. It's why the Bible says that the spirit gives life, but the letter killeth. It's why we have to not only know our Bibles, but know why a commandment was given, know why a prophecy was given, know why a promise was given. Sometimes somebody will say to me, well, I don't think that promise applies to us as Gentiles. That was just for the Jews. No, the Scripture is very clear that all the promises made in the Old Testament or the First Testament or the Bible, as our Jewish friends would call it, all those promises are for you and for me as well. Paul makes that very clear in the New Testament. But here's the deal. Sometimes you need to ask yourself, what was the spirit behind that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. I have voluntarily, voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose living and moralists, the defeated, the demoralized. Now stop and ask yourself for just a moment. Do you want to live beside the religious or the irreligious? Do you want to live beside the meticulous moralist or the loose living immoralist? Do you want to live beside the defeated, the demoralized? Paul was saying, everybody matters. Look at me for just a second. This is important. Everybody matters to God. There's not a single human being that doesn't matter to God. But why did Paul do this? He said, I didn't take on their way of life. I didn't give up the spirit of the law. I didn't give up my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world, and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I remember when our sons came to us and decided they wanted to go to a public school. They wanted to go to Woodhaven High School, and that was not our plans for them. Our plans were a little different for them. We, we had some really strong convictions about their education, about their growing up, and about them learning to be inner-directed rather than outer-directed or peer-directed, about them applying the Scriptures to their lives. And our boys weren't coming because they were rejecting our faith. They were coming because they accepted and embraced our faith. And I will never forget them looking at me and says, Dad, you always say lost people matter to God. Absolutely, lost people matter. He says, Dad, if all the Christian students leave the public schools, then what are the public schools going to do? Our kids entered in public school. 
I will never forget, they started a Youth Alive organization. Pretty soon they were reaching so many kids at the school, and hundreds were gathering around the flagpole, and the leadership would meet down here at the church, and our youth pastor at the time said, I have not been able to get into that school, but those two high school boys got in there, and they were a part of the life of the school, and they helped it to grow. It wasn't long before our home would be filled with children and students that were coming, all because we remained biblical, but we were flexible with what we wanted. And sometimes, sir, you have to be flexible. You know, you may not want your child to drive. You may, your child may want to go out on a date, and you know it's dangerous. Take that son, drive him down every possible route. Make him stop and say, okay, you just had a, a blown-out tire. Make him stop and say, you just threw a fan belt. Make him stop and say, you just burned up an alternator. Make him stop on a ramp and says, okay, the car's dying on the ramp. What do you do? Walk your son through all of those flexible moments, because sometimes even something as dependable as a Ford breaks down. Our Chevrolet. What's the other one? Chrysler's. Sometimes even they break down. <laughs> the point is, in life you have to be flexible because if you're inflexible, you're going to break. And if you're inflexible, you're going to break your kids. And if you're inflexible, your kids aren't going to know how to talk to you. And then number five this morning, protect, guide, and step aside. You know, Joseph had to know when to protect. He had to know how to guide. Jesus learned carpentry from somebody. Jesus had to be not only protected, but at some point Joseph had to step aside. We don't know. Scholars think he died. Joseph died kind of young or when Jesus was young because the last time we hear of Joseph was when Jesus was 12 years old and Jesus submitted himself to his parents. He submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. And the Bible says this, that because Jesus submitted himself to his parents, we know what kind of parents they were now. But because he submitted himself, he grew both in stature and he grew in favor with God and with other human beings as well. So you've got to know when to protect. And there were going to be a lot of people that tried to destroy the infant Jesus. As we watched the nativity that night, we were, we were just moved with the viciousness I could tell you all about the things that I have read about King Herod, how vicious, how brutal, what a cruel man he was. But to watch the nativity and see it one more time, the cruelty of King Herod, the deceitfulness of the priests that were around him, the violence of the soldiers as they went through Bethlehem, killing every child, every boy, two years old and under. Herod fathered kids, but Herod killed his kids. Herod was a father when it came to physicality, but Herod did not know how to be a dad. He did not know how to be a father figure in Israel, and he didn't know how to be a man of God, to be flexible and biblical. And so he responded the only way he knew how was with brute power. And one of the things that we men have to be careful of is not powering up on our children because we can, but learning how to protect, guide, and step aside. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 30, the Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. Guys, you've got to be willing to fight for your marriage. You've got to be willing to fight for your family. 
And by that, I'm not meaning fisticuffs. If, if you have to protect them from somebody attacking them, yes, but fight in prayer. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled for the wilderness. Underline this, just as a father cares for his child. Underline that, just as a father cares for his child. That's one of the highest compliments. Look at me, sir. Look at me right now, here in my eyes. Sir, look at me online. I don't want you to miss this. That's one of the highest compliments that God can pay to us men. When God says, I care for you the way a father cares for his child. I care for you the way a father cares for you. I don't know of any greater compliment that God could give us than to say, I care for you, and God assumes that you're going to care for your children. It's difficult to know when to step aside. There were times when my kids would come to me, and maybe I didn't agree with what they were suggesting. We'd look at it biblically, we'd pray about it, and there were times when I felt like, I just need to step aside, let them make their own decision. Sometimes those decisions went really well. Sometimes those decisions didn't go very well at all. They learn from those painful lessons because you have to let them experience the pain and the hurt that comes. I will admit when it came to my daughter, I was much more fiercely protective than I was of my boys and probably still am. But here's the deal. You have to know when to step aside and let them make those decisions. And at some point, Joseph had to step aside. I mean, didn't Simeon tell them? Didn't Anna tell them? Didn't the prophets tell them? This child was going to bring a lot of pain to their heart. The child wasn't the source of the pain. It was how people like you and me would respond to Jesus. Sometimes people tell me, I would have never done that. I would have never treated Jesus that way. You know, the fact of the matter is, that's what all of us in our sins would have done to Jesus. And that's the reason that when the movie The Passion of the Christ was made, that the producer of that movie chose to use his hand to drive the nails into the hand of Jesus. Because he says, it wasn't the Romans and it wasn't the Jews. It was my sins that put him on the tree. And then finally this morning, and I know you love that word, finally, don't you, when you hear me say it? Then finally, you've got to be willing to make the painful decisions. You've got to be willing to make painful decisions. It's painful to be a dad. It's not always pleasant. It's not always kind. I remember when Dr. Richard Dobbins told my wife and I when we were at a conference in San Antonio, Texas, a number of years ago, in our church in Georgia where we were pastoring, a lot of the lost people that were coming to know Jesus came from not just one marriage, but sometimes three and four marriages. And how did you pastor these people? How did you pastor their children? So Becky and I felt very desperate because things were changing. It wasn't the same sort of community that we grew up in where I don't know of any of our neighbors growing up that were divorced. I don't know of anybody out in our little community called Rutland that was divorced. I don't know anybody in our church growing up that was divorced. But life was changing. And I didn't have a professor in college that was divorced. So it was all brand new, and we went to this. 
And our minds were just blown away as Dr. Richard Dobbins taught us. But I'll never forget something he said. When he said, you know, if you live in a subdivision where teenage pregnancy rates grow up, where drug rates grow up, and he began to just list a litany of things that you wouldn't want to happen. He said, it doesn't matter if you lose all of the principal. It doesn't matter if you take a loss on your home. Move your family. Because you can replace a house, but you can't replace a child. And those words I didn't have to write down because they were seared into my heart at that moment. Sometimes in America, we let our finances rather than our faith drive our decisions. And it took great sacrifice to say to Mary, I believe the prophets, I believe God, even if we're kicked out of the synagogue, even if I can't find work, whatever it means, I'm going to take care of you and this child God has entrusted us with. And so one night before Herod did what he did in Bethlehem, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Beloved, no self-respecting Jewish man wanted to go back to Egypt. No self-respecting Jewish woman wanted to go back to where their family had spent 400 years in slavery. And there, once again, Joseph had to make a decision. Now, look at me for just a moment. This is important. Joseph had to make a decision. We're peasants. Who are we? You remember in the movie as we were watching, they came past the soldiers that were looking for the child. They were looking for the couple that would bear the child, and the soldiers looked at Mary and Joseph and said, this is not them. This is not them, and they let them. Who would have dreamed that this peasant girl and this peasant man that God would entrust them to be the father of Jesus? Who would dream that God would entrust them to raise his son? I got to tell you, it took a lot of faith when the angel said, Joseph, get up and flee to Egypt. But God provided through the wise men's visit the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And when you make a painful decision, God will always provide. Let me say it again. When you make a painful decision, God will always provide what you need. Would you stand with me this morning? I've given you some growth work that you can look at later on and just kind of follow up with in your small groups as well. But let me pray for you today. And if you're watching online right now, I was joining with you online a while ago, right through as we took communion, and I just prayed for you while I was over there before I took my communion this morning. I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's not just something tried, I say. I say that because I want you to know how much you matter to God. And whether you had a good dad or you didn't have a good dad, you have a heavenly Father that loves you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, why don't you commit your life to Him today? Why don't you invite Jesus into your life? God says He will adopt you as His son or as his daughter, and you'll never, ever, ever be alone again.
Would you pray with me right now? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to save me from my sin. Thank you for your amazing love and grace to me. I don't understand it all, but I do believe that Jesus came to die for my sins. And though I don't understand it all, Lord, as much as I know how, I commit my heart and my life to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, God bless you. If you prayed that prayer with me, please drop me a line. I believe it's right on your screen right now. We've got something we would love to send you to help you get started in your new walk with Christ. God bless you.